Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs. We get together every other week and we talk shop with some of the smartest women in the business. I'm Cynthia Murphy here with Laura Krieger. Hello. Today we are talking about a part of the ETF universe we rarely talk about, which is ETF boards. And joining us for that is Stephanie Pierce, CEO of ETF Index and Cash Investment Strategies at BNY Mellon Investment Management. She's also a member of Women in ETFs. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So let's dive right in. Um, Boards are an integral part of the ETF ecosystem, and yet we never talk about them. We really hear very little about them. I think very few investors understand much about them or even realize that they exist. So let's start just kind of Peeling this onion here and understanding from the beginning, what is the role of an ETF board in the product lifecycle? What do they do? What's their value add? Why do we need them? Take it away, Steph. Sure. The ETF board serves as the governing body to oversee the management and the operations of our funds. The board, importantly, is not involved in the day-to-day investment management process for the ETF funds themselves. The trustees do have a fiduciary duty to protect the interests of ETF shareholders by serving as, if you think about it, an independent watchdog. Their responsibilities include things like the review and approval of all new ETFs, as well as changes to existing funds. They also are responsible for the ongoing review of performance, people, and process for the investment teams that are managing the ETF vehicles themselves. So in what is one uh, really important function a board plays on the ETF world that you think either people don't understand or they overlook, but it's really crucial? One that I think has been particularly important in this environment is the board serving as a, a very useful function in a time of market stress or upheaval. So in that environment, a responsive board that can be agile and nimble and has a wealth of experience and expertise can be called upon to consider any number of questions, and I'll give you an example, that bear on the best interests of investors over the the near term and the long term. So a recent example for us, when we were preparing to launch our ETF suite earlier this year, and we found ourselves amidst the COVID-related market volatility in March, just when we went effective with the Securities and Exchange Commission on our ETFs, mm-hmm. our board members provided unbelievable perspective that ultimately helped inform the timing and our strategy around the launch. And that included, for example, the sequencing of our U.S. equity ETFs first followed by our non-U.S. equity and fixed income ETFs a couple weeks later. That wasn't our original plan, but in consultation with our board, it was prudent, it made sense, our investors thought it made sense. But that's the kind of guidance in an environment like this that can be invaluable from um, the the experienced board members that we have. That's interesting. So the board members really do roll up their sleeves and kind of get a little bit more into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, like you said, timing of uh, particular ETFs in in times of in times of market stress, uh, like what we've seen, 
in the last couple of six months, I, I, I hesitate to even use the term market stress. It seems like it doesn't even cover it anymore. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, um, that, that was exactly our situation, and I would say I thank my lucky stars every day that we had that consultative body to go to, just to inform, not make our decisions for us, but just to help inform our decisions for us. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific number of uh, board members? I would think in that kind of consultative um, role, uh, it would be, it makes sense to have more than one and it makes sense to have really diverse set of opinions, right? That's right. And you know, one of the questions that I was hoping you would ask is what's the structure and what's an ideal board and board member? Mm-hmm. Our board is comprised of six individual trustees, uh, inclusive of our chairman. And we felt we felt that for a startup business, that was the right number. And I'm happy to talk about you know some of the mix of skills and experience that we have within that group as well. But that is, I think, a good number that it's small enough to be manageable, but big enough to have a diverse mix of experience and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to uh, piggyback on what you just said about diverse because uh, we had a, a just a fascinating conversation with Bree Williams two weeks ago now um, about uh, diversity in the financial services industry and I'm just curious to what extent um, did diversity initiatives go into the the making of your ETF board and, and into the selection process of trustees and so on. Sure. And I'll talk a little bit more broadly about the selection process in a minute, but just to hit on diversity inclusion, this was a significant priority for us, not just diversity of backgrounds, but perspectives, experiences, ways of thinking, ways of interacting with other people, styles, communication styles, all of those things are really important for us when it came to recruiting our board. And what's interesting is that since the ETF industry is still relatively new, it's actually not that easy to find experienced and diverse ETF leaders who are no longer in an operating role and really ready to be on a board. We met with a number of diverse candidates for our ETF board, and we're very pleased that half the board members are women. Hmm. Each of them brings unique skills to the board, including ETF expertise, but as importantly, governance and board experience. And and frankly, for me, what was so valuable is that these individuals bring a deep understanding of what it takes to build a new business, which is exactly what we're doing. Hmm. Now, I've never seen a job posting for, you know, member of an ETF board. How do these <laughs> opportunities even come up? Is it like all through networking or is there a, a more industry-wide process? Sure. And uh, let me just start by saying we were frankly astounded by the level of interest in the board. And I think it speaks to the entrepreneurial culture of this ETF industry. Many of our applicants wrote us personal letters expressing not only a deep commitment to stewardship and a strong belief in fiduciary oversight, but also an inherent understanding, as I said, about the importance of the ETF board to building a new ETF business. So from a process perspective, we reviewed well over 100 resumes. We met with dozens of candidates in person. This was before COVID. <laughs> and each, one, each of them was an incredible learning experience. I was very fortunate to co-interview with the head of our legal team, who has worked with fund boards for decades and has a wonderful sense of what works and, and what doesn't work. And the two of us spent hours holed up in rooms together reviewing resumes and meeting candidates. And we found that our interviewing styles were very different and complementary to one another. The process we went through um, was three rounds. Every candidate we recruited 
for a first round interview was asked to complete a confidentiality agreement and then a detailed questionnaire. Our second round candidates were interviewed by our head of governance. And our third round candidates were reviewed by our board chairman, who served as the third and final round. So we recruited him first. As I said, the board is comprised of six trustees, including our chairman, and is 100% independent. So that was the process we went through for uh, recruiting the board. Is there a, a time span here when you become a board member of an ETF or specifically in BNY Mellon's case? Uh, is it a, a term structure? Can you fire them if you're not happy with them? Is it a lifetime commitment? Sure. There is a stated uh, term in terms of the retirement age. Um, and so there are res- sort of some you know restrictions or standards like that. Um and without getting into the details, that was important to us just to hit the industry standards. That's also true in terms of how we thought about independent versus what you would consider an interested board member. So we were re- very pleased to have 100% independence, which um, isn't always the case on boards. Mm-hmm. So we have certain limits like that. Um, but uh, really, I think that what was most important to us is the the selection process and really curating a mix of of, of skills. I like to think of it as a a mosaic of skills, uh, which I'd love to spend a minute on if you'll indulge me um, in terms of- Sure. Yes. What do you mean by the mosaic of skills? So recruiting a board, I think of as, you know, if you were a kid, you remember building a mosaic, right? You have all those different glittering pieces that come together to form a piece of art, right? And in the case of a board, it's a myriad of skills, of experience, of perspectives, And at the outset, we made a list, I'll say it was a long list of criteria for our ETF board. And as an example, diversity, which we talked about, both in terms of background, experience, perspective, style, uh, governance and fiduciary board experience, ETF expertise, independence from the organization, experience in a large, complex organization like ours, the ability to collaborate, to work as a team, right? That's really important. Sure. And then, of course, the, 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 the final long list was this set of functional expertise we wanted in terms of investment management, distribution, legal, compliance, operations. So clearly, this is a long list. We knew it was probably impossible to find any one candidate that would satisfy that whole list that I just shared with you. So what we did was we built a team of individuals, each of whom bring some of these attributes to the board, and the skills and experience that they each have complement one another. And that was by design. So again, similar to a mosaic where you put the pieces together mm-hmm. and when you stand back, it looks like a piece of art. But if you looked at it closely, you wouldn't necessarily see it that way. But when you combine those skills and experience, it creates something really special. Mm-hmm. So the dream is uh, a board of unicorns, but in the end, you have to get <laughs> a lot of them <laughs> together, make one unicorn. So got it. That's right. And, you know, one of the things that I, I likened my role to, as you think about how much collaboration was involved in this, I felt like I was the, like a conductor of an orchestra, not nearly as artistically skilled as that. <laughs> but you, you know, these, you're bringing together skilled musicians playing many different instruments to perform a symphony. If you're a conductor, as CEO, my role was to bring together a group of people across our organization with the collective skills and experience to recruit a world-class board. So as an example, we had all different parts of our business involved in this, right? We had a virtual team of senior leaders in human resources, in legal, in board governance, in executive leadership roles, as well as the independent chair that we recruited, as well as outside counsel and an external search firm to help identify, interview, and curate the board members that we selected. So it truly was 
a process and an honor for me to be involved in it and have a leadership role in it from, from my perspective. So, so you, you got all the musicians together <laughs> in the room, you got them, got them together to play. What did that first symphony sound like? What did that first board meeting uh, feel like, you know, when you, when you got them, everybody to sit down and finally start collaborating? Well, at our first board meeting, we had about nine hours of formal <laughs> wow. over the course of a single day with a few short breaks for meals and snacks and checking your email. And none of these board members had met one another before, with the exception of interviewing with the chairman. So what was so fascinating for me as the day wore on was <laughs> instead of losing steam, our new board members were really starting to build on each other's ideas and each other's questions. And instead of checking their phones during the breaks, I actually walked down the hall and saw a bunch of them just hanging out in the hallway, getting to know one another and seeing this diverse group of leaders, not just connecting with me. And of course, you know, we had met them all in the process, but making their own connections with each other and developing their own relationships was really powerful and a heck of a way to conclude our first board meeting. And it really, I think, was that aha moment for me personally that validated the months of work and the rigor of the process itself to select these individuals. So that was really, I think, a quite powerful uh, moment for me as I think about that, uh, that nine hour first day. <laughs> yeah. What a marathon <laughs> for sure. Um, so one of the things, I mean, we've, we've sort of hinted at it uh, throughout the process of this conversation is that uh, BNY Mellon recently launched its first suite of ETFs. Uh, you've spent decades as a fund servicer, um, one of the most prolific uh, fund servicers out there. Uh, but now you're in this weird position of being a newcomer to the ETF industry. So like after all of this time helping other ETF firms get their feet under them, um, what did you, how did you feel about the process of, of, you know, launching your own ETFs, how, assembling the board in terms of launching your own ETFs. What was it, uh, an easy, you know, you know, an easy experience, like you knew what you were supposed to be doing and, and go forward. Was it kind of all new to you with like, how walk me through this? Sure. You know, BNY Mellon has long been, as you said, a leader across so many parts of the ETF ecosystem value chain in terms of administration and capital markets and ETF sub-advisory. But this was new. The BNY Mellon-sponsored ETFs we launched in April were new. And most people know us as a large, multifaceted business. But in many ways, we took a, I'll call it a scrappy startup or entrepreneurial approach to this particular business that has really been what has made the other ETF businesses around the bank so successful. And part of that was building the board. Part of it was really leveraging all the expertise and the contacts and the network that our enterprise has around the ETF business. I can't tell you how many resumes and how many um, pieces of guidance I got from our colleagues at Pershing and in ETF servicing mm -hmm. and in our ETF capital markets group in, in our markets business and in our asset servicing business. Now, you know, you have to take that guidance with a grain of salt. Everybody has their own favorite candidate, but um, it was incredibly valuable to have that perspective. And I think that's why in many ways the industry has responded to us maybe a little bit differently or a little more warmly than an average new issuer because we're the new issuer that isn't really new. Sure. Mm -hmm. 
So you want to tell us a little bit about um, your personal path into this this world, Stephanie? We'd love to hear, you know, the career building um, steps um, in, as, if, as it relates to ETF boards, for example. Do you sit on any boards now? Is that a, a goal in your career? Um, you know, interesting lessons you've learned along the way in this process of servicing the ETF industry and now being an issuer in the ETF industry? Sure. I do sit on the board of several not-for-profit organizations. It would be a conflict for me from our perspective to be a sitting CEO in an operating role and be on a for-profit board. That's just something that we generally, from a fiduciary perspective, don't encourage our CEOs to do. But in the nonprofit world, I've spent a lot of time working in philanthropic organizations, and I've learned an incredible amount that has informed what we've done here with the board we've been talking about. So at a high level, the work I've done on philanthropic boards tends to be more focused on holistic issues, long-term planning, and whether and how the organization's mission might adapt to changing environments like COVID. So I sit on a hospital board, for example, where that's been a huge discussion, but it's different from the day-to-day operating role of a CEO, right? When you're a board member, you're not day-to-day managing the operations, but you're help informing and guiding the management of those operations as a board member. Now, one of my biggest learnings that helped me think about what we wanted to do here was really when I came in as a new board member in joining some of the not-for-profit boards, I asked the dumb questions. I asked the foundational questions about, for example, how the board makes decisions. And I found that it created a healthy dialogue around the merits, or sometimes not, of the processes and practices, right? You can ask those questions as a new board member. And that was important to me with coming into this new board that all of our board members felt safe and comfortable doing that because we were all new. Now that I'm a more seasoned member of the not-for-profit boards I sit on, I've also experienced firsthand the importance of having a shared understanding and a commitment to the vision and mission of the organization. And that too was a lesson that we wanted to apply here that each of the individuals that we recruited really believe in what we're doing. So I think both those factors, the ability to ask the dumb question and call it out and have a healthy, open dialogue um, and a safe environment to do that, and a shared commitment to a singular goal, both of those are critical success factors for our ETF board that were very much, I think, driven by my own experiences sitting on outside uh, boards as a non-for-profit um, uh, fund board, a board member. Yeah, what's what's amazing to me about this whole board conversation is that we spend so much time in this industry on social media, on white papers, explaining the mechanics of the ETF, explaining the investment strategies and, and the index methodologies and all that. But we never really talk about the boards, which seem to play such a critical role in the actual governance of the ETF itself, which ultimately links to better investor outcomes. So it's just fascinating to me. Is this by design or is it just how things are done that boards are somewhat mythical creatures um, sitting behind a closed door? Well, I have to tell you, it has become a lot more real and less mythical to me now that we have our own board and I see how powerful and effective um, they can be in doing their jobs. But as you said, I think from the outside looking in, it can feel that way. And even for me, in the beginning of this process, it was 
it was a daunting task. It was somewhat intimidating to think about getting from where we were at that point with this idea of what we wanted to having six tenured professionals in the seats doing this job day to day and making it real. Mm-hmm. And now I know that, but as you said, I think it, it, it doesn't get talked about a lot. I'm not sure why, but I can tell you in our case that it is an absolute critical element of our early success. And I think we'll continue to be going forward is to have people that are vested in doing the right thing for our shareholders and, and having that stewardship approach, um, but also really helping guide and, and make sure that, that we're thinking about things the right way uh, for what we're doing and, uh, and that that's the right thing. And so um, it is kind of mythical, as you said, uh, but incredibly <laughs> powerful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully it's a little less mythical now that we've peeled the curtain back a little bit on uh, how these how ETF boards work. Um, Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there for now. Uh, Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us today. It was a great conversation. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So for more information on ETF boards or any ETF topic or to catch up on past episodes, please visit us at ETF.com. And for more information on how to get involved in women in ETFs, you can visit womeninetfs.com. You can write to us with your questions, your comments, your thoughts at ETF Working Lunch. That's all one word at ETF.com. On behalf of Cynthia Murphy, myself, and the rest of the ETF.com team, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next episode. Mm-hmm.